0: Good morning. We are continuing a sermon series from the Book of Acts. Pastor Heather has shared over the past several weeks some really uh, powerful stories about the Holy Spirit working in the early church. Beginning with the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost with the tongues of flame and the blowing wind, which we can see hear and feel through the fans that are even moving the artwork. Uh, And then talking about how the Holy Spirit promotes koinonia, this idea of Christian fellowship and community. And last week, we learned about how the Holy Spirit clarifies vision when Jesus' followers, Peter and John, saw the man sitting at the gate of the temple who was begging, and they saw his humanity and restored his health and restored his place in the community. The passage that we'll be reading today, uh, Acts four, starting with verse one, begins right where that story left off. The chief priests and the Sadducees were at the top of the social pyramid in Jewish society They made and enforced the rules, and they kept the peace with the occupying Romans. And because of their place in society, they were able to build some considerable wealth in these roles that allowed them to live pretty comfortably. And a few years back, they became concerned when this man from Nazareth began moving through the land. And he was drawing attention to himself as he made his way through their community. They became concerned about what Jesus' actions might mean for their role, their place in society. And they took action. They conspired with the Romans to hang Jesus from a tree at the edge of town, making him an example to other rabble-rousers who might try to disturb the status quo. They thought they had taken care of him, but now, The people who had spent time with Jesus and followed him were back in action, recalling his name and drawing crowds. This is where we begin the reading of God's Word. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, The rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do all this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you, healed, He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men, had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had, been he- who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do about these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they- what they have done is an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. The year is 1777, and the setting is a clearing in the woods where a worship service is taking place, not unlike our garden worship services here at Creston. The birds are singing, the smell of pine needles fills the air, and a cool breeze uh, passes through the congregation. An abolitionist Methodist preacher, instilled with courage from the Holy Spirit, has drawn a crowd in this forest clearing. Among them, Stokely Spurgis, a white... Delaware farmer, and Richard Allen, his enslaved 17-year-old farmhand. The Holy Spirit acts through the preacher to deliver a message of liberation to these two men. Allen was trapped in slavery, and Spurgis couldn't see Allen as fully human. Everyone was ensnared in this system of exclusion. The law of the land that was defended by people who read the Bible and said, slaves obey your master, allowed for slavery. One person dominating another through power and control over their life. But the preacher in this forest clearing had introduced a possibility of a new way of being. Alan and Spurgis heard the abolitionist's message, and it changed their lives. They redefined their relationship. It didn't happen immediately, but Alan began to earn a wage for his work on the farm, and six years later, he was able to purchase his own freedom. Alan, with a new life ahead of him, was inspired by the preacher in that woodland service, and he became a Methodist preacher himself. He traveled around for a few years preaching the liberating good news of the gospel before settling in the city of Philadelphia, which was at the time the largest city in the colonies and the the seat of the U.S. government. When he arrived, he looked to join a Methodist congregation and became a member at St. George's Church where he preached the 5 a.m. worship service. Probably 5 a.m. so that the, it, he was preaching for the, the black people in Philadelphia who had to get up very early and then get to work. Philadelphia at this time was a primary destination for freed black people, those who, like Allen, had purchased their freedom, others who had been emancipated by white owners convinced of the immorality of slavery, and yet others who had escaped through the Underground Railroad. When these people landed in Philadelphia, they had next to nothing. Allen, through The fellowship in his church extended biblical Christian hospitality to these newcomers in the form of a mutual aid network based on the koinonia, the fellowship of early believers described in the book of Acts. They helped people to form a community and a fellowship that met everyone's basic needs, food, housing, employment, health care, child care elder care. This Holy Spirit-filled Koinonia community was attractive to people, and like the early church, the membership at St. George's grew by leaps and bounds. Pretty soon, there wasn't enough room for everyone to worship together. I'd like to imagine that someday in our future. Um, And so the members began a capital campaign. They drew up architectural plans and completed a major building project to expand the the sanctuary by building a balcony for people to sit in. Unfortunately, in a meeting after the meeting, the white Methodists, who had been long-standing members of the church, decided that the balcony would be the space for the new members. They made a rule that the main floor would be reserved for white congregants, and the new black members could sit up in the balcony. Richard Allen was disturbed by this decision. He had understood the Methodists to be Christians who sought justice through the abolition of slavery who saw black people as fellow human beings and image bearers of God. But as the black membership grew, the white members became fearful of what they might have to give up. They wanted to hold on to control in their own worship setting. Should Allen and the other black members listen to the rules as enforced by the white parishioners? Or should they listen to God's truth in their hearts, that they were all fully human and deserved to share equally in worship? Allen and others protested the decision, entering worship on the main floor, kneeling in the front of the sanctuary in prayer until they were forcibly removed, physically removed from the sanctuary. Still believing in the liberating power of the Holy Spirit through the name of Jesus Christ, Allen partnered with a black Episcopalian named Absalom Jones and formed a new congregation called Bethel Church. At first, they met in an empty storefront, an old blacksmith's shop. And that church grew and grew eventually becoming what we now call the African Methodist Episcopal Church, a denomination that has more than 2.5 million members today. Among the early worshipers in the new church was a young black woman by the name of Jarena Lee. Lee, like Richard Allen, was inspired by the liberating power of the gospel and she, too, wanted to follow in the footsteps of the person who had brought that gospel to her. The Holy Spirit instilled courage in Lee to approach Alan one day to share that she felt compelled to preach the gospel. Alan, having studied the rules of the church, replied, You know, Another Methodist lady, one time, also made the same request. She was allowed to hold prayer meetings, but as to women preaching, Alan said, our discipline knows nothing at all about it. Our church does not call for women preachers. Jarena Lee was initially relieved The rules said that women couldn't preach, so she was off the hook. This thing that she felt called to do made her really nervous. But Lee continued to feel that call of the Holy Spirit stirring in her to share the good news of Jesus. She later reflected in her autobiography Oh, how careful ought we to be lest our bylaws of church government. And discipline, we bring into disrepute even the word of life. For as unseemly as it may appear nowadays for a woman to preach, it should be remembered that nothing is impossible for God. And why should it be thought impossible, heterodox, or improper for a woman to preach, seeing the Savior died for the women? as well as for the man. Doreena did hold prayer meetings and led Bible studies and was an active member of the faith community at Bethel Church. And one day, eight years after she had approached Alan to ask if she could preach, she was in a worship service and the person delivering the message passed out. And, The people gathered, looked at each other, and said, does anyone have anything prepared who could step in? And Jerina Lee stood up, and she took the place at the pulpit. And after this, Richard Allen agreed that the Holy Spirit had clearly equipped Lee to preach. And she went on to be the first of many women to preach in the AME Church again from her autobiography, the disciples, though they were fishermen and ignorant of letters, too, were inspired to preach the good news, to which I would reply that though they were inspired, yet that inspiration did not save them from showing their ignorance of letters and of man's wisdom. This the multitude soon found out by listening to the remarks of the envious Jewish priests. If then, to preach the gospel by the gift of heaven comes by inspiration solely, is God limited? Must he take the man exclusively? May God not, did God not, and can God not inspire a woman to preach the simple story of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and accompany it too with the power to the sinner's heart? As for me, I am fully persuaded that God called me to labor according to what I have received in his vineyard. If he has not, how could he consistently bear testimony in favor of my poor labors in awakening and converting sinners? And so we come full circle. Jarena Lee invokes this story from Acts 4 of uneducated fishermen who followed Jesus and who stood before the Pharisees, questioned about what authority they had to speak in the name of Jesus, to heal in the name of Jesus, to teach in the name of Jesus. They said, our rules don't allow for this. You have to stop. And the disciples replied to the priests and the Sadducees, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to God. You be the judges, but as for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, in this series from the book of Acts, we have been asking, how is the Holy Spirit acting? In these stories, the Holy Spirit acted to heal the crippled beggar, liberating him from a system of exclusion. And the Holy Spirit acted to instill courage in Peter and John, to reply boldly to the religious leaders. The Holy Spirit acted to liberate Richard Allen and Stokely Spurgess from the dehumanizing system of slavery. And the Holy Spirit acted to instill courage in Allen to protest the rules at St. George's Church that would have excluded the black worshipers from full participation in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit acted to inspire Jarena Lee to preach the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Holy Spirit acted to instill courage in Lee to make the case to Alan for her worthiness to do so. That same Holy Spirit is alive here in Creston Church today. What good news does the Holy Spirit have for you today that might be liberating you from rules that once kept you from speaking of God's power in your life, from fellowship with one another, from recognizing the image of God in each other how is the holy spirit instilling courage in you to speak of the work of jesus christ of nazareth in your life and in your community we ordinarily take time each week to give witness to the ways we have seen the holy spirit working in our lives we call that our time of god stories which ordinarily happens earlier in the service and is why Lisa was surprised to be doing the children's message, uh, children's blessing so early. But every person here, every person who comes in these doors can give witness to the Holy Spirit's power and the urge in your heart to speak of what you have seen and heard. The youngest among us who are right now worshiping outdoors in the garden often share of their understanding, their experience of God, testifying uh, to God's presence in their lives through time spent with family and friends, playing together and enjoying God's creation. Others among us share other stories, big and small, how God shows up in the kindness of a stranger or in the beauty of a rainbow across the sky. Let's take some time now to share with one another how we've seen the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Thank you all for for following the Spirit's lead and sharing what you have seen and heard about God's work in your lives and how that has, has encouraged you this week. It has been an encouragement to us all. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our lives, your guidance in our lives, your providence in our lives. We thank you for the many, many graces in our lives that that show up in large and small ways, for the ways that you continue to work in the world to bring healing, to bring restoration, to build community. We thank you for placing a call in our hearts to, to be in relationship with you, and in a relationship that is so compelling that we can do nothing but share that relationship with the people we meet in our lives. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to live in and move in our community here at Creston to promote Koinonia and to clarify our vision and to instill courage so that God, when the, the rules around us don't equate with your call in our lives, that we would have the courage to live into the life that you call us into, a life that is full and abundant, that uh, in which nothing is impossible for you.